Welcome to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. This special series features some of Milwaukee's most distinguished leaders. They'll share how they overcame challenges, developed their skills, and achieved success, so you can gain insight and inspiration. And now, Leadership is in Session. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are in the studio with a dear friend and colleague of Athena Communications, and that is our friend, Dominique Samari. Dom, welcome in. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and happy Friday. Happy Friday, indeed, Dom. And I am just so happy that you are here with us today to talk about your work, and that is really uh, your expertise around bridging differences and creating connections. So, you're an experienced strategist. You have built your career on helping people do that. You are a coach, you are a facilitator, and you really help organizations build and sustain equitable and inclusive change. And that happens in multiple ways. And that's through an organization you co-founded with another friend of Athena, Janine Edwards, and that's P3. But you began your career as a criminal defense attorney and a city of Milwaukee criminal court commissioner. And then you transitioned from law to international development, and you served in some really key positions for the U.S. Department of State's rule of law program in Afghanistan. What was that like, Dom? In a word, it was eye-opening. Up until that point, I'd lived most of my life either in a Midwestern or Southern U.S. context. And so all of the perspectives and ideas and beliefs that I had around work specifically, but also beyond work, just these values that had been fed to me for so long that were like specific to an American context and a Black American context and a Midwestern American context. And so when I arrived in Afghanistan, I think that the word definitely is eye-opening. It was a forcing mechanism that opened my mind to a wide variety of ideas and arguments and information that I just had not previously had access to. And it really opened up in me, I think, this space where I was able to think critically and rationally and really deepen my own beliefs, but do that in a way that created space for other people's beliefs and ideas, that was respectful of other people's beliefs and ideas, and was able to hold those in both hands. And that was a critical part, as I look back, of my career journey. It's really planted the initial seeds that have led me to the work that I'm doing today. So what year... Did you arrive there? And will you set the stage for us from a cultural and political standpoint about what was going on in Afghanistan during your time? Sure. So I arrived in 2008. And so at that point, and I'm not certain exactly how many years the United States had been in Afghanistan in 2008, but we'd been there for for a bit. And so I flew into Kabul. I was immediately deployed to one of the northern regions, Mazar-e-Sharif. And I knew nothing about Afghanistan. I knew nothing about its people. I knew nothing about its laws. I knew nothing really about the culture other than what I'd read to prepare. 
to come to Afghanistan. But as we know, you know, things really come to life. Ideas, history comes to life when it's right there before you. And it was just a complete, it was completely different, I think, than I expected. But my experience in Afghanistan, I would say, was deepened, not necessarily by the work I was doing, though that was true in part. It was deepened by the relationships that I was able to form with individuals that had lived in Afghanistan for their entire lives, right? And so when I was able to sit down and have conversations over tea, not only about what it was like to have a Western or American footprint in their country at this point in time, my work specifically, but also to talk about just their lives and like get some context around like how this experience was occurring for both of us. That really helped me, I think, deepen my empathy and really helped the work, helped me show up in the work I was doing in the country in a different way. And it also helped me start to merge some of the ideas and beliefs that I had long held with some of the new information that I was receiving because I was in relationship at that point. Like I could hear them in a different way. It was different than just a page from a book. Yeah, that's really fascinating and really sets the stage for what I'd love to talk to you about next, which is a really tremendous endeavor you have called Kin Universe. And that is a project of yours that has deep roots in prejudice reduction and was born out of another project of yours called the Belonging Project. Will you talk to us about both the Belonging Project and Kin Universe? Absolutely. So the Belonging Project came first. Every year for quite some time at the beginning of the year, I would identify a curiosity project. And so my curiosity project would be something that I was just curious about that I would commit to exploring for over the course of the year. And I can't remember exactly what year this was, but at some point I decided to explore belonging and how people create a sense of belonging in such a racially segregated city. So a little bit of background, I'm not from Milwaukee. I grew up in Ohio and Mississippi and I came to Milwaukee in 1998. Oh, goodness, that seems like so long ago. (laughs) So long ago. But yeah, 1998 to attend Marquette University Law School. And from the beginning, I really struggled with the racial and socioeconomic segregation in Milwaukee. It just didn't exist in the same way in the Cincinnati suburb where I grew up. It was a completely different flavor kind of in the Southern Mississippi context. Like it it almost was expected because it's Mississippi and it's the South and it just looks different there. It felt actually harsher here than it did there in some ways. And so I wanted to see how other people navigated the segregation here and how they created a sense of belonging across those groups. And so I set out to talk to 12 people, maybe 14 over the course of the year, I was going to talk to about a person a month. And I love having conversations. I love having conversations about things that interest me. And so, you know, when I got to the end of the year, I talked to 72 people and had had just a ton of conversations, a ton of insights, a bunch of ideas about how people were not only navigating segregation, but the helplessness that they felt inside of 
this kind of looming issue for our city. And so the belonging project eventually led to Ken and then Ken Universe. And so Ken Universe became my love offering to Milwaukee. It's an online platform that connects people across race for conversations with the idea that very similar to my experience in Afghanistan, that we need to be in relationship to have the very difficult conversations. And so what I was seeing in my professional work that was walking right alongside this curiosity project was that I was working on these racial equity and inclusion initiatives and doing workshops and sitting on panels, et cetera. And after, you know, the workshop, after the panel, inevitably someone would come up to me or call me and say, you know, that was a great conversation, but what I wish we really would have talked about is this, or what I really wanted to say was this, or what I really wanted to hear was this. And I always push back by saying, well, why didn't you say that? Like, what? why couldn't we have that conversation instead of the very surface level conversation that we had? And what I realized, you know, from that work and again, from the insights coming from the Belonging Project and even in my own life is that it's impossible to have those conversations as humans unless we're in relationship, unless we have the depth of relationship that can support the difficult emotions that come up from those conversations, that can allow us to be minimally vulnerable to talk about the hard things. So how does that work? How do you facilitate a pairing of people? Because that is how the process works. How do you facilitate that so people do have hard conversations? What does that look like? So I can walk you through the process. The Ken Universe is free to any individual that wants to sign up. And for organizations, and we maybe can talk about that a little bit later, there is a fee, but you sign up, you fill out a fairly extensive profile. And then we determine, number one, if you have a readiness to participate. And most people that sign up do have a readiness. If you have some interest, some openness, some willingness, then you likely have a readiness. But then we look across communication styles and personality traits and interest, et cetera, and we match individuals based on a number of factors. And so once you are matched, you receive an email that you've been matched. This all happens online. And then you're sent your first conversation questions, your second conversation questions, third, et cetera, until you reach the sixth and final conversation. Each conversation is followed by a reflection so that you can not only have the conversation, but reflect on any insights that you had coming up during the conversation. And the first five conversations are really intentionally designed to increase the vulnerability between the partners a little bit by a little bit across the five conversations. And the only two rules really are that you follow the discussion guides and that you don't talk about race or race-related matters across the first five conversations. By the fifth conversation, we are hoping that you have enough of a relationship where you can then talk about. In the sixth conversation, the pairs 
or the partners, they both present 10 questions that they've been holding about race that they would like to have a conversation with their partner about. And they exchange those questions. And each partner picks the questions that they feel comfortable discussing. So for example, Becky, if you and I were partners, I would give you 10 of my questions. You give me 10 of your questions. I may only feel comfortable now with four or five of your questions. You may only feel comfortable with three or four of my questions. That becomes our conversation six discussion guide. And then we start to have the conversation around race. And the idea is that, of course, as I've said, that we have enough of a relationship to begin the real conversation. So I've actually had the opportunity to listen in to the partners talk about a few things. And so that was really, first of all, a tremendous opportunity. But for some people, this might feel a little bit, it makes them feel a little bit vulnerable and exposed, even though they have been in community and they have been in relationship for a good series of, of time, a good series of questions. What do you say to people who say, oh, I don't know that I really feel like I can talk about this. I don't know that I'm comfortable. Maybe I'm scared. Maybe I don't want to answer a question you're going to ask me. You have to know that going in that that's exactly how you're going to feel. We are humans and being uncomfortable, whether that's physically or emotionally or mentally, if there's dissonance, we don't run towards these things. We just don't. And I think in order to overcome most of the challenges that we're facing in our everyday world right now, most of the challenges that my colleagues and partners in these organizations that we work with are trying to face, that we have to get comfortable with some level of discomfort. It's what it requires. Like we can't, there's no easy path to these things we're trying to tackle. And so that's what I would say is, is that, yes, it's difficult for you and difficult for everyone. And you either going to jump in or you're not. And there's no judgment if you don't. If you're not ready, that's okay, too. That's okay, too. But you have a partner along your side who is facing the same level of discomfort, the same level of vulnerability, alongside you. And that does make it a little bit easier. So you're pretty clear when you engage with people who want to participate in KIN that it's not for everybody. And you will be clear and tell someone, you know what, I don't necessarily know that the readiness has been indicated. But who can benefit from KIN? Who who are good candidates to participate in this really illuminating process? I think anyone who wants to expand their perspective through relationship. And so what I have found in my own life, and again, going back to my work in Afghanistan, is that I only have a slice of the pie, right? I only have this one life experience that I base most of how I think about the world on. And whenever I can engage with someone across difference and I can hear new ideas, hear new perspectives, that helps me increase how I'm looking at the pie, right? It helps increase the pie. And so for anyone who's interested in that, then Ken is for them. And it's not about making friends or like, it's not even necessarily about the relationship. It really is about the relational component to looking at the world. 
Like it is about the relation that is ne- the relationships that are necessary to expand your ideas and perspectives. And you have mentioned relationships and community and conversation and comfort and discomfort many times during this conversation, but equally important to you for Kin is the data and the research behind it. Will you talk to us about that research? Why is that important? Why is that an important element of the work you're trying to achieve? Absolutely. So I created Ken Universe based on my previous experience, my work experience, my personal experience. I'd participated in programs that had some elements of Ken Universe in the past, like Mosaic, but I a lot of it was instinct, right? Like the number of conversations, the type of questions, the matching. And I knew that instinct alone, like was not necessarily going to convince folks. And it wasn't as though, honestly, I went looking for the research. What happened was I was connected to a psychologist at the University of Washington through someone in my network who learned about Ken Universe and said, you have to talk, you have to talk to this guy. He will be immensely interested in your work. And so I talked to him and I will never forget because it was on a Friday morning and I was in Los Angeles and everything that I'd packed and brought to Los Angeles had just been stolen out of my rental car. And then I had this conversation like immediately after. So I was in a state of high distress and almost could not hear what he was saying as he was as he was sharing during our call. But what he told me was that he'd been doing this work for decades and how I designed Kenan Universe was exactly how the science says that these things should be designed and that if he could help me in any way that he would be willing to do that. And so he wrote the white paper that is available on the website. He provided me with all this research that like backed up exactly our approach and how we were how we were looking at the work. And he introduced me to colleagues at the University of Washington, who have are the first organizational pilot for Ken Universe, become the first organizational pilot for Ken Universe. And how are they? How are they using or implementing your work through Ken there? Mm-hmm. So exactly as I intended and hoped it would be used, I did not know. It's one thing to be vulnerable with a stranger who there's no stake in your relationship. It's a completely different thing to be vulnerable with colleagues who you are working with and may see every day. And so honestly, I didn't know if Ken would be applicable in an organizational context, but the pilot has been extraordinary, extraordinary. And so they are using it. They're having the series of conversations and then we are taking this group who now has deepened their relationships in order to help design, support, and implement their equity and inclusion work inside of the organization. And so they already have the depth of relationship. They can have the critical conversations necessary to develop the strategies, and they can support implementation in a completely different way than they could prior to their engagement with Ken Universe. Well, I love that. And it it doesn't surprise me that all of this is moving so well. But what's next? What's on the horizon for Ken? What's on the horizon for you, Dom? Yeah, so um, I think what's on the horizon for Ken is that we will continue to grow and expand and really are 
this year developing our organizational strategy. Again, that had not been a, a focus prior to this year. And so we are excited about that. I think for me, I will continue to listen to what feels like the truth for me. So I had a conversation with a good friend earlier this week, and she posed a question that had been posed to her because she is considering a new career path. And the question was, what has everything in your life to this date prepared you for? I know. Big question, right? Big question. That's a big question. And I feel like as I look back on my life, that everything that I've done to date prepared me for P3, prepared me for Ken Universe, the good and the bad, right? So whether it be my own struggles with like belonging in my childhood and adulthood, or whether it be my legal work and career, that all of those things kind of led me down the path and I needed all of those pieces in order to do what I'm doing now. And so I think where I'm going is to continue to trust the truth that comes up inside of me and like just trust that life will continue to present itself in a way that I can show up and use my gifts and and that I know what that feels like. Like I've done enough practice. I feel like I have the instincts that I feel comfortable and confident following that path. So we'll see. We'll see. But no doubt you are using your gifts. And I just want to thank you and appreciate you for talking to us today, because it's really always amazing to hear your thoughts about bridging differences, creating connections, which you have done for so many. So thanks, Dominique. Well, thank you for having me. This was super fun. Thanks for listening to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. Be sure to catch all eight enlightening episodes. And don't forget to connect to On the Edge of Equity with Tammy Belton Davis, available wherever you get your podcasts.